Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Wait is sometimes the hardest answer from God. Sometimes I would just like, just tell me no, God. Tell me no uh, that, that what I'm praying for is wrong, or tell me no, and we'll find a different way around this. But the wait sometimes is the worst. At least it is for me. I'll own that. Perhaps it's because of my personality, perhaps because I tend towards impatientness with things that are out of my control, like other drivers. But wait is hard. But here's what I've learned about wait. Wait sometimes is an opportunity for deep growth. Sometimes wait is that season in life where things seem to be dormant on the surface, but underneath, roots are growing and things are happening and nourishment is taking place. Wait sometimes is the best for us. It forces us to grow deep and wide. Wait. It was the answer that David got over and over and over again as he was being sought after by King Saul. Wait was the answer that came back when he was living in caves and scrounging for food and not knowing what was going to happen to him. Wait was what he heard from God every time he was attacked. Every time he had the opportunity to become king but chose not to force the issue, wait was the answer. Wait. Wait became the very thing that made David the great king that he was. Today we're going to look at 2 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 11. Last week we saw the death of Saul, and we saw the response of David to that death. Now we're going to turn the corner, and we're going to see as David begins to take power, as his status begins to grow, and as he starts to live into who God has anointed him to be, and as he begins to see through the weight. After he had taken a time of mourning and had returned back to the area where he lived, after all of this, David inquired of the Lord, Lord there being Yahweh, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Now, let me pause here. Does anybody remember where he was living before this moment? Yeah, he was living with the Philistines. He was living in Philistines. Philistine, yeah, with the Philistines. He was living in the Philistine region. So he was outside of Israel, outside of the kingdom of Israel. He was living in a foreign land. Now he inquires of the Lord, should I go back to Judah? Now at this time, the king was kind of separated. I mean, the kingdom was kind of separated by a natural boundary. And those natural boundaries had to do with rivers and seas, and mountains. In the northern part of the kingdom, where all of these different tribes lived, and then in the southern part of the kingdom, right north of where David was living, 
with the Philistines was this area called Judah. And so he inquires of the Lord, shall I go to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. And then David said, to which city shall I go up? And God answered him and said, to Hebron. Now, Hebron, Hebron was a place that was made famous by Abraham. It was a place where he lived and where he grew his kingdom and his rule. It was a holy city in that it was a place where there was an altar built. It was also a place where priests, it became a place where priests lived. So it was a, it was a major city, the major city in all of Judah. And so David, now having the opportunity to freely take over the kingdom, now having the opportunity to go to where Saul lived and take over his palace, chooses not to. Instead, he inquires of the Lord. Think about that. He has been waiting for years. He has been under oppression for years. He has been seeking to live into this title that God had given him as king of Israel for years. And when the moment comes and he can step into it, his first action is to pray, to ask God. Now think about that. He has heard wait for years. He has heard, hold up, stop right there. For years, There are times he probably thought his prayers weren't getting past the cave, the roof of the cave he was living in. For years he had heard, wait. And when he has that opportunity, instead of seizing it, like I think I probably would have been like, yeah, all right, now, finally, I can live into what God has said all these years. Now, finally, I get to be who God has anointed me to be. Now, finally, I can step into power and position. But that wasn't his first thought. His first thought was, Lord, where should I go? What do I do next? What is my next step? I think this teaches us a lot about real, about real godliness. I think it teaches us a lot about pursuing God's will. I think it teaches us a lot about what it looks like to be a good leader. His first thought was direction from God. Now, this is unlike his predecessor, who had, was ready, fire, aim kind of guy, who would show up and do things, and even if God had told him to do it, he would do it, but not necessarily in the way that God told him to do it. He was just, I'm going to get this done. It's, it's in my hands. I've got this. I'm king. But that's not what David did. David stopped and prayed. And not just, Lord, should I go up to the cities of Judah, but then specifically where? Now, here's the thing. The city that he ends up in, the city that God tells him to go to, is the most obvious city. It's the one that he probably would have chosen on his own, which leaves skeptics to think, well, yeah, of course he said God told him to go there. (laughs) Yeah, God told me. He told me to go and do that. That's what Saul would have done, but but not David. David instead seeks wisdom from the Lord. And not just should I go up to Judah, but where specifically? So David went up, verse 2, and went up there with his two wives, 
Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Did you get that? He settles in. I mean, get this time frame, guys. He settles in. He brings up all of his men, all of the people that he had been supporting, all these men who had gone to war with him, all of these men who were his right-hand men, and, and all of their families, the people that they went and saved from the Philistines, he brings them all in and they settle. And then he just goes about life. And as he goes about his life, then it is the men of Judah, the leaders, and by the way, it would have been just men, and the men of Judah came to him. Again, he doesn't press the issue. His prayer was, God, should I go to Judah? Yes. Where? The answer comes back, Hebron. And he goes and he lives there. His prayer wasn't, should I go to Hebron and become king or declare myself king? Should I go to Hebron and try to make or force my way into kingship here? Should I go and set up a throne here? That's not what he does and it's not what he prays. He just says, Lord, put me where you want me to be and I will trust you with the rest. Do you get that? He doesn't pray for a specific do this for me, God, he's saying, God, put me where you want me to be. Do you see the difference? How often are our prayers the former instead of the latter? The, the God, give me this instead of God, put me where you want me to be. How often do we say, God, make this happen instead of God, just put me in the right place? God, give me this grand meal instead of God, just set the table so that whatever happens I'm ready to sit down and eat from whatever your will is. There's a big difference here. And it's one that, as I read this story this week, I thought, oh my gosh. How far off are my prayers from these prayers of David? How often am I seeking the thing instead of the right place? God, put me in your will. Put me where you want me to be. And I'm going to trust the details to you. Not rhetorical. Why do you think that's hard for me? <laughs> Why is that hard for you if it is? Why is that a hard thing to do? All right, control. <laughs> what else? Human nature? I, I missed it. Yeah, ambition. That's a huge one. Yeah, that goes dovetails with that, right? And all of that is this idea of control. Ambition, I want to control my outcome, and I've got this ambition to be this, right? And I want to control this. What else? I think that's a good point. It's a lack of faith. It's I know better, or I'm clear. And, and if I'm going to be honest, for me, sometimes it's fear, because I know if I put my trust in God, and I'm like, okay, just put me where you want me to be. Where he wants me to be might be far from where I want to be. And there's fear in that. Right? I think all of these reasons and more, I mean, as many people are in this room today or are watching live stream, there are different reasons why this is hard for us. But David gets it. And I think he gets it because he has been waiting so long. He has become 
patient. And you know what they say, if you pray about patience, get ready. Well, David didn't ask for all that he went through. David wasn't looking for all the problems that came his way. He wasn't excited about living in caves and running in his life. I mean, running, running for his life and living a life that was nomadic with no frills and thrills and desperate. I mean, have you read the Psalms? I waited patiently for the Lord to recline and hear my sobbing cries. Oh, how long have I waited? I was in muck and mire and sinking like quicksand. By the way, I heard a comedian say this, and it is so true. If you grew up in my generation, I think as an adult, I would have come across at least six sinking sand pits by now. Every cartoon I ever watched, someone was in sinking sand. I like, I thought this was a real issue in life. <laughs> I mean, everybody, even Scooby-Doo who would just run in place was subject to quicksand. I mean, I thought it was going to be an issue. Yes, yeah, the never-ending story. Oh, okay, there you go, there you go. So this, this quicksand is, is, I mean, that's what he's describing here, that my life is sinking like I'm in quicksand, like I'm in mud and mire and there is no bottom, and I can see myself slowly sinking. I mean, he cries out stuff like this to God. God, I am in quicksand and I'm dying and there's no one here with a Scooby snack. I waited patient for, for the Lord. He reclined and heard my cry. I was in the muck and mire. But then he says this. But he reached down and brought me out of the pit. And he set my feet on a firm rock. And he gave me a new song. Psalm 40. By the way, if you're a U2 fan, there's a song called 40 that is this psalm put to rock music. I waited patiently for the Lord. I mean, he waited and waited and waited. And in his waiting, he learned that really what he wanted more than anything else was to be where God wanted him to be. Not all the other stuff, not the ambitious stuff, right? Not the control. What he really wanted above all else was to be right where God wanted him to be, and he waited. Think about how long he waited. He was a young man, like a teenager, when Samuel shows up and picks him out of all of his brothers. He was just a little lad. He was just a kid. We don't know how old he was. I'm guessing somewhere 12, 13, early teens. And they bring him into the house and he anoints him and he says, you're going to be king. Think about waiting from then until now, think about all that he's been through and all that has happened to him. He's been married and then his wife was ripped away from him by the king. He was pursued over and over and over again. The Philistines hated him. The Amalekites hated him. Saul hated him. Some of the people of Israel hated him. His life was reduced to being a nobody in a cave. He might as well have been in a van down by the river.
Yeah, yeah. I think that is a gift, but not with me, with Chris Farley. So he's waited. And this time, because of his patience, because he doesn't rush it, it's not him who declares himself king. It's not that he forces other people to recognize his kingship. It's that the men, the leaders of Judah, saw his life, saw what he had been through, saw how he lived amongst them and said, yes, this is the king, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now, that was just one section of all the people of Israel. Remember, the kingdom was divided, and all the other sections of Israel were being run now and ruled by who? The Philistines who had just defeated Saul and killed all of his people on Mount Geboa. And then they pursued the people, and the people of Israel scattered, and the Philistines were in charge of all of that land now. And so this one little section, David is anointed king. How disappointing is that? So when the answer comes, it's not even the whole thing. When the answer comes, he's not king of all of Israel, he's king of Judah. When he was anointed by Samuel, he was said, you're going to be king over all of this, all of this, all of my import, uh, empire, north part, which was Israel, southern part, which was Judah, Transjordan, which was a number, of, a number of other tribes that lived on the other side of the river. It was the whole kingdom that he was promised. And when he gets anointed king, he gets the scrap. Here you go, here's Judah. When the answer comes, it's not what he had envisioned. When the answer shows up, it's not exactly what he had been promised. And at that point, if I'm David, I become very disappointed because of ambition, because of lack of control, because this thing has gone way different than I ever thought it was, because I've had to wait this long, and this is all I get? I mean, really? It's like opening up that present at Christmas, and it's socks and underwear? And somehow, as a kid, they took a Legos box and put socks and underwear in it just to tease you? Just to show you, look what you, psych, here's some socks and underwear. That's what it would have been like. He unwraps this gift, this great answer from God, and it is Judah. It's not the whole thing. Oh, avocado, thanks. Look it up if you don't know. And they came and they showed up and they anoint him king. It would have been very easy for him to be disappointed, but he's not. Because then, David told them, he was told by them, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord Yahweh, because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord Yahweh show steadfast, chesed love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and valiant. For Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Now, what is lost in this is that this is the Trans-Siberian, Trans-Siberian, 
orchestra. It's not. You can tell it's Christmas time. It's the Transjordanian. This happens to me more and more now as I'm getting older. This has nothing to do with an orchestra that plays Christmas music. The trans, trans, trans Jordanian part of the kingdom, which was to the north and to the east of the river. This was nowhere close to Judah. But they were the ones who took Saul's body down off the wall. If you remember, they traveled all night. This was the point last week. It's always the right thing, time to do the right thing, no matter what the consequence, no matter how hard and no matter how uncomfortable it is. So David recognized that they had done that, and they're a different part of the kingdom. And so he goes to them and says, look, what you've done is a great thing. You honored not only Saul, but the Lord. And because of that, may the Lord's blessings be on you, and I'm going to honor you as well. Now, this is a well, let's call it what it is. This is very political, isn't it? David's acting in this moment very political. He's going to a part of the kingdom that he, doesn't, he hasn't been anointed king over, and he's now blessing them and wishing God's uh, grace and his steadfast love on them. And then he says, I'm going to do whatever I can for you as well. And this comes across as a very political thing. But when you read and you think about David's story, it's not. This looks like him trying to force himself into other parts of the kingdom, but he doesn't here. And this is an important note because this is going to come up later. This area is going to come up later. This group of people is going to come up later. What you need to know is that even when he had the opportunity, after he has now been anointed king, to go and begin to take other parts of the kingdom, he doesn't. And instead of forcing himself and forcing the way and chasing ambition and trying to take control, he just shows up and goes, bless your heart. And he didn't mean it the southern way. He literally meant, bless you, blessings on you, what you did is great. He had no agenda here. Or if he did, it doesn't come through. It looks like that from our cynical eyes. But he just shows up and says, you know what, what you did was amazing and bless you. May God's blessings pour out on you. May his favor pour out on you. And if you need anything, I'm here for you. How easy it would have been for him to go and take control of that area. They were in disarray. They had no leaders. But he didn't. Because it wasn't ambition and control that drove him. It was the will of God. And then we see the contrast. Verse 8. But Abner, who was King Saul's right-hand man, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him to Mahanium, and he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, seeking not God's will, but power and control, takes the only remaining young son of Saul, and he installs him as a puppet king. 
And he puts him over Gilead, which is where Jabesh Gilead was. You see the difference? David shows up to this area in the Transjordan and says, blessings on you. Abner shows up with the son of Saul and says, this is your new king. I'm forcing him on you. Do you see the difference? Abner takes the son of Saul, Ishbosheth, and he makes him king over all of these other parts of Israel. But there was no power there because who was in control of those parts of Israel? We said it earlier. The Philistines. It was all a power move. It was all political. Abner was only trying to suck any power he could. He was trying to hold on to what he could could do for himself. He was motivated by control and ambition. He was the one who was choosing to do his own thing. And that's important to remember because this guy's going to show up again. And we have yet another contrast to David. David, who just shows up and says, God, put me where you want me to be. David, who goes out and says, blessing on you. David, who doesn't take the throne by force or by will. David, who allows God to lead him. And Abner. Abner, who, with all that he has, seeks to wrangle and control. And alas, we have a divided kingdom. And a kingdom divided on itself will fall. David, I think, teaches us the importance of weight. Abner's going to be an example of why we can't push our own agenda. David reminds us that even when life is hairy and it's not ending up and turning out like we want it to or like we envisioned it to be, even when we open the present and it's underwear instead of Legos, God is still in control. And if we allow Him to guide us, weight becomes something magnificent. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.